Welcome to Tales from the Dance Floor, a podcast exploring the lives and times of people from all walks of life who followed their passions and made careers out of DJing, producing, parties, dance culture and the music industry. I'm Phil Morse from Digital DJ Tips. Let's get started. I'd like to welcome DJ Rasp today, who is someone who you might well know if you're a follower of Digital DJ Tips, because he regularly pops up doing demos and teaching on our channels and in our courses, but he's better known as one of the world's great scratch DJs. He's a two-times DMC UK Supremacy Champion, one-times DMC Battle Champion in the UK, five-times IDA. It sounds like a boxer, doesn't it, Russ? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> five-times IDA UK Champion, both technical and show. Red Bull three-style finalist. He's, uh, he, he judges and showcases all over the world. He's just recently toured China, been to New York, where he's done stuff with Serato as well as DMC. You're in Poland recently. You're really a man about the world, spreading the scratch word, aren't you, Russ? Yeah, I get around. I get around. <laughs> well, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you for taking time. And uh, if I can get this podcast anything like the standard that you've managed to get your stuff to as a scratch DJ over the years to come. I'll be a happy man. So welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having us, Phil. Awesome. So those of you who know your United Kingdom accents will hear very strongly your North West England accent. Where are you actually from? I'm from St. Helens originally, but now I reside in Warrington. Okay, so yeah, you got a kind of like, is it Scouse? Is it... Uh, it is in it, between, uh, it's, it's Lancashire. And, bit uh, of Lancashire bit, there, yeah. Bit Mancunian, a bit Scouse. It's, it's <laughs> kind, of, kind of, I'm in no man's land, really. <laughs> well, absolute apologies to the uh, to the US audience who are listening, thinking, what? Does they all sound British <laughs> to me. But anyway, if you want an education in accents, Rasp doesn't sound like me. Even though, actually, I spent a long time in Manchester myself. Anyway, we're digressing. So, Rasp, you have done this amazing thing with your kind of adult life as a scratch DJ Mm -hmm. and someone who also teaches, someone who still DJs to this day regularly, not only nationally, but internationally. Is this what you thought you were going to be as a kid of like seven or eight years old? No way. (laughs) (laughs) So Uh, what what did you think you were going to be? I'm not sure, really. Uh... I don't know. Uh, I, I, maybe an astronaut or something. <laughs> and, and, and what? So, I, I'm not sure, uh, but I, I didn't think I'd ever be like a DJ, you know. Uh, were I you into of, music? Were you into music from an early age? Uh, yeah, kind of. Uh, I used to like have, you know, different records and stuff. Uh, yeah, I was always into collecting things. You know, if it wasn't records, it was comics or you know, uh, action figures or, you know, stuff like that as as a really young kid. Okay. Uh, So, yeah, I was always into collecting things. And as I got to a teenager, I started collecting, like, tapes, cassettes and uh, vinyls, you know. Okay. So you were kind of a collector before you were a DJ. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Okay. That's interesting. So uh, was there music in your house? Did you, like, have a musical mum and dad or was it, like, kind of... Maybe a bit like me, where the only music was frightfully uncool. 
Mojax said the same thing when I interest, when I interviewed him. He said, oh, yeah, we had music in our house, but it was terrible. What was it like uh, well, in your house? You know, my mum and dad, they like, you know, some rock stuff. They like the Eagles, Queen, uh, you know, Roxy Music. You know, me, me granddad, he liked jazz. When I used to go uh, stay at my granddad's house, he'd play, like, jazz and that kind of thing on the on the on the radio and stuff so yeah, yeah there, there was music around me you know uh it sounds relatively cool as well you know granddad is into jazz is something i guess most people can't claim to have <laughs> yeah how did that influence you do you find like you sometimes find yourself thinking of your granddad when you drop something unexpected yeah 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 cool. my granddad, he, he could play quite a few instruments to my granddad he, he was good on the mouth organ he was good on the the flutes and he, he could play guitar too so yeah he was yeah he's a you know quite a big uh inspiration kind of thing did you did you learn an instrument did he inspire you to learn anything have you picked anything up over the years no i had a little go of uh keyboard and uh you know uh harmonica but I never really stuck to it, to be honest. As a okay. kid, I, you know, I got distracted with other things and and that. Like, but yeah, I only really started getting into DJing when I was eighteen. Yeah, yeah. When okay, I was that's that's reasonably early. It's not like a, wasn't like a midlife crisis. I'm going to be a DJ finally or anything like that. <laughs> no. <laughs> so yeah. tell me about it. Tell me about how you got into it. What happened? What's your story? Everyone's got a story, right? What was your story? Well, as I said before, I was into collecting records and cassettes, and um, I inherited a, a, a hi-fi turntable. You know, my auntie gave me mum this hi-fi turntable. It was, it was a posh one at the time, but she didn't she didn't need it. So uh, I ended up with it in my room, you know, because I'd be like, mum, or you know, can I take that record player and, you know, so we can play my records. And she's like, well, I don't really listen to records as much anymore because she, she was always working and stuff. So she's like, yeah, go on. So I'd take that up to my room. I'd hook it up to some speakers and I had a bunch of records, you know, mainly rap records. I had some rock, rock and reggae records too. And I used to play them on there and I used to make like pause tapes, you know, I know very well. Pause tapes. Yeah. Explain <laughs> pause tapes for people who don't need to remember tapes. Okay. So it's basically a compilation, you know, of different songs that you you, you record on, onto a cassette from either cassette to cassette or from vinyl to cassette. And you kind of like, when you finish the uh, song, you kind of pause it and then record the next song or the next segment so it comes in straight away. It's like uh, splicing songs together, like gluing a load of songs together without there being any gaps. Mm. So so early DJing, an early way of DJing without actually um, mixing or beat mixing or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, it's just a way of like, yeah, stringing a load of songs together. So maybe it was DJing without me even realising. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, you know it's, it's so common, Rasp. It's so common to hear DJs who... We're around in that period of time, maybe the late 80s, DJing in this way, learning to DJ in this way. Because another thing was the cassette decks were mechanical, weren't they? So when you press pause, it literally paused the second you pressed it. But later on, they kind of had motors and they were a bit trendier and a bit more advanced. But what you lost was the instant pause because it took a second to pause and a second to come off again. Do you recall that kind of cassette deck? Yeah, yeah. 
that that's the type of system that he had. You know, it's just like as soon as you let go of the pause button, it instantly record. You know, yeah, you can yeah. in straight away. So you'd have to like either play the have the cassette that you're going to record in with the next song queued up, so we just start playing straight away, or you know, hold the vinyl and just like let it go, kind of thing. You know, without there being like any gaps or you know, uh, yeah, without it like winding on, kind of thing. You know. So were were you one of these guys who? Couldn't talk to girls, so you made mixtapes for them instead. <laughs> Wasn't there kind of a romantic thing about that with you? I, I made a couple of mixtapes for girls <laughs> when I was growing up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah right. that definitely p- played a part. Uh, but yeah. mainly, I w- There's no shame in that, mate. No, no shame in that. We've all been there. <laughs> I, I made uh, the music, uh, I made the mixtapes mainly for myself. I used to ride around on my BMX with my old uh, Walkman on, and... You know, a lot of my vinyl records, I, I, I didn't have on cassette. So I'd just make, them, make these mixtapes so I could listen to, uh, you know, my, the, the songs from, from home while I'm driving around on my BMX. Okay, so you were actually making your own DJ mixes for your own pleasure, for your own yeah, benefit. Yeah. And then so I, that you I, could, uh, you know, you, you can't carry a record player around on a no. BMX. So, you know. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you actually can nowadays, can't you? Portabilism is a is a thing now, and I'm sure there is someone who's hooked up a, you know, one of those little new marks to their to their BMX somewhere in the world. Anyway, tell me about tell me about uh, the next step. Tell me about the first gig. Okay. Well, well, the first gig when I was 18, I, I got some really cheap belt drive turntables, and you know, I used to practice at home and stuff, and. My friends knew that I had some uh, turntables, so I used to go around to their house with, with my belt drive turntables, my mixer, my speakers, and all my records, and just do house parties. And that was pretty much straight away, you know, as soon as I got my turntables, maybe like three or four months after first buying turntables. Did you teach yourself to beat mix or to blend or to scratch or, you know, at this point, I'm guessing you've got an idea about what to do with them. Uh, did, you, did you teach yourself? Did someone show you? Did it come easy? How did you kind of get those very it early skills? It was all experimentation, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I, a lot of it is self-taught. I had one friend who lived, uh, he lived quite close by. I, I didn't see him that much and he already had decks. His name is DJ Crow from Birmingham. Big up DJ Crow. He's a great hip hop DJ, and uh, you know, so he 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 was already DJing before me, so he had a little bit of knowledge. And uh, I'd, every now and again, I'd see him and I'd go around and practice with him, and he'd show me, you know, a, a few techniques, a few very basic techniques and stuff. So I'd take that away, but a lot of it was me being. In on on my own in, in my bedroom and just practicing and just trial and error, you know, experimentation. Uh, and I was really, you know, interested in in scratching and manipulating the sounds. You know, I was really in, into, you know, just grabbing the hold of the record and creating rhythms and different patterns from moving the record forward and back and uh, turning on and off the you know the the line switch the tr- or the transformer switch. And just creating like different patterns and sounds from that. That that really hypnotized me as a kid, you know. So you must have been popular in your house. So they must have loved that. 
<laughs> no, I don't think my mum and dad was a fan for a while. <laughs> so, so um, presumably this is because you're into hip hop, right? So you yeah. were hearing scratching, you had a sense of hip hop culture, and you knew that these two things were connected, right? Yeah, that's right. So, you know, back then, tell people what what the media was like. You know, there was no internet, right? So. Where are you hearing this stuff? Where are you getting your influences from? Um, is it the radio? Is it like MTV? You know, where were you seeing and, hear, seeing and hearing this stuff outside okay, of your bedroom? Okay, so I was hearing it. I was hearing a lot of like DJ stuff on rap records and hip hop records. You know, so we'd hear like a lot of scratching in in you know choruses and intros of like certain rap songs. Also, uh, from the old rave tapes. You know, rave was very big at the time. It was before it was like drum and bass or jungle or anything like that. It was just called dance music or rave music. And there was some scratching on, on some of that stuff. So, you know, that that, that was quite a, um, a bit of a big in- inspiration. Um, I also got hold of a DMC tape, like a, a video cas- cassette. And I saw like, you know, Cash Money and... Cutmaster Swift, Cut It Up, you know, and, and all the DJs from that era. So, yeah, uh, also, like, uh, listening to, like, you know, Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince and, you know, uh, also Cash Money and Marvelous. Uh, Hijack, the guys from Hijack, there was, like, some amazing scratches. Yeah, uh, yeah, from that, really, you know, hip-hop, Hip hop stuff, really. So, uh, so while all this is going on, you're presumably at school or college. You know what was what was going on in your in inverted commas normal life at this point. I was at college. I just finished school, um, and I was at college, and I was studying media. I was doing media studies at the time. I was on a, I was actually on a YTS, a youth training scheme, doing media, which was a. Uh, very interesting. <laughs> it was quite cool as well because we got to do a lot of like video editing and we did some like radio stuff, you know. So that that kind of got me more into it and it, it gave me like a a good understanding of like you know uh, you know editing music and that kind of thing, you know. Yeah, so, so it gave you the kind of geeky edge that's necessary. In, in in my view as a teacher, the geekiness is important in this game. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Like I've always been a bit of a nerd and a bit of a geek. You know, I was into like video games and comics and all that kind of thing. And, you know, I was into, you know, uh, making little little things for, you know, when I was a really young kid, like, you know, I'd, I'd have like cars, little toy cars, and I'd, I'd, I'd take them to pieces and modify them with spaceships and <laughs> stuff like that you know what i mean so it's always a bit of a you know a bit of a geek and you know into like messing about with things and you know. so i think it's uh it's important especially for djs because of course nowadays it's uh, it's kind of plug and play a lot of the time but yeah. even nowadays knowing knowing how things work and what to do if they don't work is it's a uh, it's a neglected part of this art i think most definitely most definitely so so that's so that's you know that's awesome so far. You're you're DJing on the side. You're having fun. You're playing parties. You're in your media studies. Did you meet people at media studies that ended up being important to you in your later life in DJing that, that you just didn't know would be important at the time, or was that kind of a 
dead enders getting your leg up into this game was concerned? Uh, I, I met people, you know, not not so much into DJing and that like, but yeah, just just people that I'd see later on in life, you know, when when I was DJing in, in bars and stuff around St. Helens. Uh yeah, no, not not really, not not at that time, not at that time in my life. No. What do they think? What did what do they think, or did they think the people you know from that part of your life? We're going to talk about how you how you got how you got more serious about this yeah. uh, in a bit, but a little bit later on in life, when you bump into people from your earlier days, and they're like, "Hang on, you're DJing, I know you." What's their reaction generally? Is it like? wow or is it kind of like scratching their head how did you end up doing this you know what's the reaction of people both. from that time a bit of both really like sometimes they'll be like all oh, right so you're still doing this <laughs> <laughs> i've had that one i've had that one <laughs> and then other people are like oh no, that's cool that you stuck at it you know it's cool that you you followed your passion you know you you know a lot of people knew that i was into music back in the day and you know, I was I was always into like hip hop and that kind of thing, and they're like, oh right, you so you followed your passion and and it's good to see, you know. And, and some people are like, oh, you, you're still playing them record things. <laughs> so, all right, yeah. Uh, so okay, so you uh, you you stopped your media studies and you, you're DJing. What happened next? Well, I, I just continued practicing and stuff, and uh, I went to a DJ expo in the GMEX in Manchester. Okay. It was about 1998. And, you know, I was already aware of DMC and ITF and then type of competitions. And at this DJ Expo, uh, Technics DMC had a stand. And Cutmaster Swift was, you know, hosting this stand and performing. And he invited you know, unknown DJs, people in the crowd to get up there and have a go. I had some records with me. I was like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm up there. You know, I want to, I want to show people what I can do, you know? So I took the opportunity. I got up on stage and I had a little juggle and then, you know, other people were doing it too. And, uh, that was like kind of my first experience of doing it outside of, uh, you know, a house party you know, in front of people that I didn't really know. Yeah. And I, I kind of liked it. It was, it was kind of nerve-wracking, but it was kind of exciting too. And then the same day, later on, he, he announced that, you know, DMC was coming to Manchester and to enter it, you needed to take one of these forms that he was handing out, fill them in, send them off via post, and, you know, you can, you can come and uh, compete because I didn't know how to compete in a DMC battle. And I wanted to do that, you know what I mean? Because I've seen all the DMC videos, Cash Money and the X-Men, which became the Executioners. I've see, seen all these guys uh, battle and beat juggle and scratch and all that kind of thing. I was like, well, that's the kind of thing that I want to do. I want to DJ as well, but I want to do that that kind of DJing, you know, that really uh, really excited me. I like, I like the performance elements of it and you know, the creative, uh, the, the, the creativity of it, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, well, so you enter, you send your form off, you know, the idea of sending your form off in a post to anything now is kind of like quaint, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> then you send your form off and, and like, like any good young person who's sent a form off to anyone, you kind of sit there impatiently waiting by the post box. What happened well, next? Well, uh, 
you know, I got invited to to do this competition, and it was in Planet K. I in, remember, I remember Planet K well. Yeah, I remember yeah. it very well. Oh, actually, sorry, no, it wasn't. Uh, it was in Planet K the year after. It was in the Boardwalk, actually. Do you know? Do you know? I'm going to share a story here that you'll uh, you'll um, you'll smile at. My very first gigs were in the Boardwalk as really? well. We took over the Saturday night in the boardwalk when Dave Haslam gave it up. No, Friday night. No, no, yes, Saturday night, okay. actually. Yeah, we did it there for about 18 months. That was kind of where I cut my teeth wow. in, uh, in the DJ thing. So there what you go. What a venue that was. It was with the sloping dance floor. <laughs> what, what venue has a sloping dance floor, right? Yeah. But anyway, anyway, let me get back to your story. So, so cool. I can picture where you are now. You're at, you're at the competition in the boardwalk, round the corner from the Hacienda. Yeah, that's right. And uh, tell me. Well, okay, so it was an afternoon elimination heat. Uh, I'd never been uh, in this competition before. I actually did a competition a few months in between waiting for my, uh, you know, my uh, application form to, to, to come back, you know, from the DMC. So I did a competition in Birmingham. It was at Aston University. My friend DJ Crow, who I mentioned before, he was studying there. And uh, there was a DJ competition. And he's like, oh, do you want to come and, you know, enter this? He said, I'll be entering it and, you know, come come and have a go and see what it's like. So that was the very first time I did a comp. And uh, that was fun. I didn't win an offing, but I had fun. And it was like at a, in a busy university hall you know what i mean there was a lot of people there and yeah yeah that, that was good fun so I, I enjoyed that and uh you know it was good practice for the dmc that was coming up so i entered the dmc and it, it was totally different experience so i'm at the boardwalk and uh it's an afternoon elimination 50 hardcore dudes <laughs> are, all, are all there, you know, with the, with the friends and no one's speaking. The atmosphere is like tense, you know. So it's my turn to get up and I had a, you know, a three-minute routine uh, that, that I had prepared. And I never really used, I'd only ever used like techniques a handful of times, but I never used the techniques mixer. It was the new mix at the time. It was a... Uh, the I think it's a SH the SH model with a you know the the uh, instant uh, cut on the crossfader yeah and golden black like a I golden black mixer before. right that's right yeah and uh, I was like wow I, you know I weren't used to the equipment and stuff so I did my thing I didn't do too good and the, it it was nerve wracking to be honest you know I was some some young kid. And, you know, there's all these guys that can crab and flirt and do all these crazy tricks. I'm like, wow, I've got to go out after these guys, you know. <laughs> and the hardest thing was, was actually speaking after you set. Like, Cutmaster Swift got everyone to speak after the set, explain who you are, where you're from, what crew you represent, and how you thought your set went and I was more, I was petrified at that that time uh, of like speaking out, and you know I just wanted to get on there and scratch. I was like, oh no, I've got to speak after this. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I did my thing in that light, but I I didn't do too well, and I learned so much from that day. I didn't get through to the nighttime final. I, you know, I didn't come anywhere in the competition, and I was like, wow, okay, so that is what is expected of you at a DMC competition. 
You know, the standard is extremely high. You know what I mean? You've got to come in with your A game. You've got to have not only good juggles, but good scratches, good showmanship, good beat juggling, and, you know, good, like, uh, DJ wordplay as well. You know what I mean? So you've got to have the full package, uh, you know. So, um, so to our listeners who can sometimes be a little bit in awe of people like you, two times DMC UK supremacy champion, one times DMC battle champion, one times idea, five times idea battle champ. There's two lessons here, I think. Number one, you've got to start somewhere. That's right. And number two, you learn more from the experiences that are uncomfortable and where you, you know, without dressing it up, where you fail. That's right. When it's all working out for you. That's actually, I, I bet your next gig was totally different because of when you learned this one, right? That's true. That's true. Like doing regular gigs after that or house parties was nothing really. Mm. You know what I mean? After after being in that situation, it, it, it was fun. It's like, oh, well, people are dancing and, you know, it's not intense because when I did that elimination at the boardwalk, there was no public. It was just uh, DJs and the friends and, you know, that's, competing and DJs. That's, and they're not even making money from the public coming in and watching. Wow, that's... Uh... Well, the thing is, if you got if you were successful uh, and you was in the top eight, you went on to the nighttime event, which was open to the public. Got it, right. Okay, you know? yeah, yeah. So it's like the live auditions on the talent shows on TV nowadays. Right, right. but it was intense. It was just full of DJs, no one speaking, just everyone watching your hands and... Wow. You so know, it was it was an intense situation. <laughs> so this is like this is like twenty years ago. So yeah, nineteen ninety eight. It was. So how did you? How quickly did you start getting to the point where where uh, you knew that this was something you could get paid for? You wanted to actually do seriously. What kind of like? How, how did the next step up happen? Okay, so I continued competing, and uh, you know I didn't get anywhere for a while. But while while I was competing. I was introduced uh, to some lads that lived uh, quite close to me and some, some lads from Liverpool, and I ended up getting in a band with him. So I was DJing in a band, uh, providing beats, you know, from, from all my records, and they would come round my house. <laughs> my mum wasn't too pleased about this. <laughs> and they'd rap through, through my headphones into my mix. We, I didn't have a microphone, so we used the headphones as a microphone. And uh, we we started getting gigs, and you know, as a, as a rapper, as a rapper, and then from from these gigs, I'd I'd get to DJ as well. You know what I mean? So then we'd start getting eventually getting paid for these gigs. So what was yeah, the name? What was the name of the act? We was called the Shakti. Okay. And we was around for a good couple of years. You know, I stuck. We all stuck together. We all, you know, we're all still good friends now. Uh, we was around from 1999 to, I think, 2006. Wow, yeah. that is quite a quite a stint. Yeah, yeah, and we we ended up uh, having more members. It was just like four of us, you know. There was me DJing, three rappers, and one of the rappers played bass as well, you know. So we play the bass along the beats. Then we started making our own beats and stuff. And then we eventually got a load of band members and we had like uh, a horn section, drummer, guitarist, keyboardist. Wow. Uh, singer. Did you, yeah. 
did you go to the studio? Did you record? Did you make recordings? Yeah, and records? yeah we made quite a few recordings. We pre- we we eventually pressed uh, stuff up on wax. You know, there was only like limited presses. There was like we pressed up like five hundred at a time, and uh, yeah, we we did all right. We sold some some. You know, we made a few EPs and a few twelve-inch singles. Some we got rid of, and some we didn't sell all of them. Uh, yeah, but it was fun. It was fun times, and I learned a lot from DJing with these guys, and you know, pro- like providing the beats and, and working out little scratch uh, choruses and stuff like that. You know, within our sets and that, like, and that really helped along with my regular DJing as well, you know, it helped with my structure and all that kind cool. of thing. So I was going to ask you about this because presumably you're making money from DJing on the side at the time, you know, you're, you're not paying your bills from this company. So you are making money playing normal DJ gigs, if you like, yeah. in inverted commas. And you said that you also DJ with the um, with the the band, you know, I'm guessing you're warming up for the band as well. So you're doing normal DJ sets as part of the booking, right? Oh, Have oh, I yeah. read that right? So talk to me about, because it, so far it seems like your DJing is kind of like from competition to competition to competition, but that's not actually true, is it? You know, a lot of your DJing, from what I've heard so far, is just, as I say, normal DJing. So I'm interested in where scratching and, well, for you, where scratching and DJing meet. And at what time you should scratch and at what time you don't scratch. Because I, because not everyone's going to stop and look at you all the time, are they? No. So when people aren't stopping and watching, how do you how do the two work together for you personally? Well, when I was working with a band, when I was performing with a band, that was the time for me to scratch. Yep. And that's when I had my shine. Yep. You know? And when I would play music before we, we performed, I wouldn't really scratch. I'd just play songs i might do the odd little uh cuts to to introduce a track yeah i wouldn't overkill it you know what i mean i I just like scratch as and when and you know every couple of tracks or whatever you know what i mean so and what about your gigs outside of that what about gigs i'm presuming you're playing bars and getting the odd small club and stuff like that what you know what about coming i started getting like uh more bar gigs and uh i would do some scratching you know but i Every now and again, if the if the crowd was right and the, there was a good uh, vibe and people were up for it, I'd do like a little scratch routine within my set, you know, because I was playing a lot of hip hop then, yeah. you know, a lot of hip hop uh, parties and stuff and hip hop, you know, uh, bars were really into hip hop back then. So yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd mix it up with, with some cutting, but I wouldn't do it all night, you know what I mean? I wouldn't like just scratch continuously because uh, it's just going to, you know, uh, freak people out really. You know what I mean? They want to hear the songs and you don't want to like uh, overkill the song. You know what I mean? You don't want to like clutter the song with too much. Yeah. It's like, it's yeah. like, you know, just because your car can do 200, you know, uh, it doesn't mean you drive it at 200 all the time, right? You've got it there if you need it. So I wanted to ask you about, when you kind of talk to or see or DJ with people who just can't scratch and maybe aren't actually that comfortable with manipulating the music at all, what do you think your scratching brings to the table, even if you're not really using it, um, that they maybe haven't got or that they find harder to be natural with? What what does scratching bring to the wider art of DJing, if you like? Well, I think it in, enhance, it can enhance your mix if you do it in the right place. Like I said, you don't want to do it all the way through your set because it just 
annoys people, you know, if it if it's too much. And there's definitely a time and a place. But I think when it's presented right and you, you know, throw in a, a few little cuts within certain mixes, I think it can sound really nice and really enhance your mix. Uh, it can tease people, uh, you know, like if you're like dropping in a scratch and you're using a sample from the, the song that you're going to mix yeah. in, into the one that's playing, you know, it, it can it can work that way too. Uh, yeah, it can just, you know, it, can, it just adds flavor to DJing. But it, I don't do it all the time. You know, some gigs I play at, especially nowadays, it's, you know, some, some specific gigs that I do, I don't scratch at all. And then other gigs, you know, it's more, it's expected of me, you know what I mean, to perform and, and scratch. So, yeah, it, but it is a handy tool to, to have, you know, and it, and it really helps with your timing. It helps with the understanding uh, of, like, you know, bringing stuff in manually, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, it's... Yeah, I, I, I like doing it. It's a, it's definitely a personal preference, and it's not for everyone. But for me, it, it keeps it exciting for me. You know. Okay. Yeah. So then there's kind of an element of danger, isn't there? It oh, it could go wrong. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So all right, you you you're doing all right. You're in a band. You you you. I guess I guess this is kind of like what you do at this point, right? You're not doing anything else. Am I right? Uh, I was working in factories and warehouses as well. You know. So when do you when when did you go full time then? I would say about mid two thousands. Okay, so you had a good you had a good ten years at it, or seven or eight years at it before yeah. you um, before you could call it full time. And what what caused that? Were you starting to win competitions? Were you getting bigger gigs? You know. When did you think, you know what, I reckon I can do this well, for a living? I, I started uh, teaching as well. Got teaching you. And uh, I, I was like doing stuff with orchestras. Uh, there was an orchestra in Liverpool, the Philharmonic Orchestra. And I, I was like, I got this project through the member, a member in my band, the uh, Charlene Squire. She, she's a brilliant singer. She, she was in our band and she used to work with the Philharmonic orchestra and she's like oh we need uh some urban <laughs> skills uh to our orchestra would you be up for like teaching people how to scratch and dj and incorporate it into what we're doing as an orchestra i was like yeah i'd love to that sounds great that you know so i thought i'd never done this before and you know we ended up like uh teaching you know all the all these kids and you know, all these uh, youth clubs and stuff. And we ended up doing like performances alongside the Philharmonic Orchestra. And yeah, it was great fun. And, you know, from the back of that, I started doing more and more teaching. And I'd teach during the day and then I'd get more gigs on the nighttime, you know, uh, around Liverpool and Manchester. And, you know, some in my hometown in St. Helens and where I live now in Warrington and stuff. So yeah, just uh, kind of, do that kind of thing and then it just grew and grew and yeah i'd say like mid 2000s was like well that's it now i'm, I'm just gonna do that kind of thing you know I'm so, so it's, i, I, I want to stress this point for people listening to this who think that people have a moment and then they're doing the thing that you see them doing all the time because it's just in my experience apart from for a select few at the top it just isn't the case no and I'd say even for the select 
few at the top they've got their fingers in a lot of pies but in your case you know you're teaching youth clubs and uh, you've been in a band you've been in a band you're, you're you're working with an orchestra you've got bar gigs alongside your scratch competitions I mean you have to be a jack of all trades don't you um in order to survive in the music industry as a jobbing musician which is what you are you're a scratch DJ which is yeah. a musician you can't just be you know that's all I want to do point to someone on a stage scratching no. and that's all I'm going to do from now on. It just doesn't, it doesn't work that way, does it? I, I, and I learned that, you know, I, I, I used to see uh, videos of like cash money and I think, oh, I bet that's all that guy does. And, you know, and maybe he did, you know, but I'm sure he did lots of other things, you know, um, in order to get to get to where he was going. Yeah. But yeah, uh, for me, I, you know, I was on a different path. I'm, you know, I'm from a small mining town in the northwest of England. I just had to do what I had to do. But I found like being around cities like Liverpool and Manchester give me more opportunities than uh, being in, you know, stuck in Saint Helens. You know, yeah, what I mean? yeah, it's, yeah. it's a great another tip there for anyone you know, who's serious yeah. about this. Get out. Uh, it's it's where the stuff happens. Get into a city. Give yourself an advantage just by being somewhere different from where you That's are. That's right. And networking with other DJs and, you know, people in the know and promoters and stuff like that. You know, from from being in the band and going to all these different cities and that, I got to meet so many different promoters and people who put on events and, and club owners. And then, you know, from the back of that, just speaking to them and, and, and passing I actually used to pass out mixtapes, like there's my tape, you know, can can I get a gig? And sometimes I get gigs out of that and other times I wouldn't, you know what I mean? But that that's how it was back then. That's how yeah. you would work with people, you know. So let's uh, let's uh, I, I want to talk to you about how winning competitions and uh, I want to talk to you about um you know some other things that were happening back then, but you know, seeing you've mentioned it, you know, everything's yeah. changed in the last it's 10 right. years, hasn't it? As far as promoting yourself goes. Um, since 2007 and the beginning of Facebook and now, of course, Instagram, YouTube and so on. It's kind of like everything's changed in a lot of ways. In some ways, of course, it hasn't. Networking's still important and stuff, yeah. but you're very good on social media. You're someone who's seen it and embraced it. Tell us a little bit about how things have changed as far as getting gigs and promoting yourself out there are in, you know, as we're recording this in 2019. Yeah, well... Uh... Well, like I said before, like a lot of it was, you know, passing around your mixtapes and, uh, you know, getting them out to people. And, you know, th- this is still relevant today. It's still good to go out and actually network with people and, you know, meet them, uh, you know, in the real world kind of thing. But now, you know, we have all this social media. So, you know, you can just message people you know, hit people up on messages and, you know, you can get an instant reply from them, you know, you know, here I am, do you, do you want me, do you want to book me for this gig? And you can get a yes or no straight away rather than, you know, going to the hassle of making a tape, finding out where these people are or, you know, pulsing it or knocking on doors or whatever, <laughs> or, you know, now you can just like, just hook, hook, hook up with, promoters and people straight away you know yeah so uh do you find people at your gigs now are talking to you about stuff they've heard you do or seen you do on social media rather than talking to you about like your your um your your mixtapes and stuff like that yeah that's right uh yeah the the see stuff that i did on video you know like through youtube 
or Instagram, and they'll talk to me about that more than they would recognize a mix that I put on SoundCloud or MixCloud or a mixtape that I released or something. Yeah. You know? So, uh, so social media is something that really is the way to promote yourself nowadays, not only to promoters and stuff, but also to the people who are going to come to your gigs. Yeah, it, it's a good way of presenting yourself, you know. Yeah. Uh, I get a fair bit of work from social media. You know, I ended up, you know, doing a tour and, you know, working for like different companies and, you know, doing like demonstrations and doing a couple of gigs from from people watching videos that that are created, yeah. you know. So cool. So um, so the tour that you're talking about is this the tour that you mentioned at the beginning of China? Yeah, that's right. I went last year. I went out and did a tour of China. I went to I think it was like seven cities. I was only I was there for ten days. Wow. Um, went to Beijing, Shanghai, Fuzhou, um, Kunming. Shenzhen and some other places and yeah that that was great fun. So tell us about that. I mean what's China like to DJ and what are the crowds like? What's oh, the place like? What tell incredible. us. It was such a great experience. I went there previously uh in 2017 to do a gig and uh, I was performing at a festival in a, in a city called Kunming and I was basically booked to do a 40-minute set to do some DMC showcase stuff and, uh, you know, like play some, like, trap music and, you know, some, like, you know, high-energy bass music. And that, that was great experience. Uh, I, was, I was only there for, like, four days that time or five days. I also got to play in a, uh, a club within Cumming City called the Turtle Club which was great. And I was just playing on vinyl, you know, uh, I didn't have no records with me, but I was with a guy called DSK who, who, who goes back and forth from China. He's a great DJ. He's a great, uh, B-boy DJ. He's a great, um, uh, you know, funk and hip hop DJ. So I was out, out there with him and, you know, he was spinning in a club and he's like, you know, do you want to spin for a few hours? He said, just go through the records. And he had a bunch of 45s, and I was in my element. I was like, yeah, I'd love to, you know. And it was great because it was unrehearsed, unprepared, and it was just fun, you know, just flicking through all these 45s and just, like, you know, doing a improvised set. So that was great. Uh, I did my performance. That was great. And then the year after, uh, 2018, because you need a visa to, to go out there as well. So... Uh, DSK and another guy called Alex who, who lives out there, they were like, well, do you, would, you've got a visa to go to China. Would you like to come out and do a tour? We can sort you like, you know, a load of dates. They make a little bit of money out of it. I'll make some money out of it too. It was like, yeah, I'd love to, you know. So uh, we organized it and then I went out and did all these cities. So it was great. The, the vibe was so good. Uh, I got to play in a big club in Beijing called Mix Club. And this is like a quite famous club in, in Beijing. And uh, yeah, it was it was a packed out place. And I was playing a lot of different genres, actually. I was playing a lot of like bass uh, music, trap music, hip hop stuff, R&B stuff. And people were really, really up for it. You know, it was kind of like a, 
you know, uh, kind of like an EDM crowd, but they were up for something a bit different. And oh, it, it must feel great. so good to do that, to do that, to kind of confound what they want and yet give them something that they love. Yeah, it was amazing. You know, and the MC that was that was there, that was working there, he was really good. Uh, you know, he, he got the crowd motivated. He hyped it up. He knew when to speak and when not to speak. So he weren't like rapping all over my stuff or, you know, shouting all over my stuff. He was, we worked really well together. We we had a good connection and yeah, it, it, it went off. It was a top, top event. Uh, and then I went to some other cities uh, and, and every city was good, but it, it was all different. You know, I went to one in Shanghai. I can't remember the name of the club, but it was more of an underground uh, club so like people wanted more like you know boom bap uh hip hop like you know more heavier beats like not as popular stuff you know what i mean they wanted like some raw funk and that was great you know there's b boys and b girls throwing down and people wanted to see routines like the real raw routines you know that some hardcore like turntable stuff and that that was another great experience too um you know, so, so that yeah, sounds uh, incredible. So, um, I wanted to talk to you about the scratch scene in general. You know, you've got a quite a privileged view of it, having DJed so much internationally, and also, of course, we'll we'll talk about winning competitions in a minute. I want yeah. to kind of come back to that. But in the twenty years you've been involved in it, and you didn't get in it right at the beginning, right? It was going on on for ten years in the UK. It was big for about ten years at least before then. But in the yeah. time that you've been involved in it. How, what, how have you seen it change? Has it got healthier? Has it got bigger? Is it is it a fun scene to be in for people who aren't maybe involved in this? Tell them how it is and what direction do you think it's going in? Well, there's been a lot of peaks and troughs with it. When I first started, it was hugely popular. Like when I first competed, it was in 1998. And that was the year that all the scratch perverts started to enter the DMC. So the standard was super high. The media was all over turntablism and scratching. A-Track had just won uh, the DMC in, in Italy, I think it was. Craze was the next big superstar of it. The Scratch Perverts were huge. Qbert was huge. Inv- Invisible Scratch Pickles was huge, as well as the X-Men and the Beat Junkies. So it was, it was a really healthy time. There was a lot of people being super creative, with just two turntables and mixers. It was a very healthy time for the scene and there was a lot of skills on display. Now, there's not as many people enter these competitions, uh, it's, especially in England. In, in America, that's a different story. Um, but in England, there's not as many people entering these competitions, but there's a lot of people into scratching. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, last year... I actually uh, co-run the UK IDA. So I didn't compete last year. I co-run the, the competition and I brought it to Manchester. I brought it to uh, the DJ school that I work at, which is School of Electronic Music. And um, we held the actual UK final in Manchester. And the, a few years before, there, were, there was a few people entering, but not loads. But this year, because you know I wasn't entering and I was kind of running the thing, I was like, well, we need loads of people to be here. So what I started doing, I just started messaging 
a lot of people that I knew that was into scratching and juggling and turntablism. And as a result, you know, we got like, uh, we got 25 competitors, you know, which has not happened for a number of years, you know. So, yeah, the the scene now is healthy. You know, there's more and more like scratch jams coming up, you know, more and more people like creating routines and posting up on you know, on the Instagram and some people have never competed before, but they just want to, you know, show the skills and stuff. And, you know, social media can give you a platform for this. Yeah. So, you know, the other thing, of course, that we haven't talked about yet, but that we will, that's happened is technology. Mm-hmm. So you scratch with Serato. When we worked together recently, you, you carry your Pioneer S9 mixer around with you. You know, you're very much, as I'm sure everyone is, uh, over on the digital side nowadays. Yeah. Uh, and it's a novelty for you to go back to scratching with vinyl, real vinyl now. Um, how did, when did you first get into digital scratching and how has it changed the scratch scene? Oh, well, it's totally changed it. You know, uh, digital scratching now has revolutionized uh, turntablism, you know, the technology has always pushed turntablism, even from like, you know, crossfader curves to like, you know, the design of specific needles to the the design of like skipless scratch records. Now with uh, you know, DVS and you know these mixers with all these like cue point buttons on, and you know the 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 invention of like motorized controllers like the Rain Twelves or the V Sevens or whatever. There's so much you can do with it now, you know. Uh, a lot of people are using production within the scratch routines. You know, it's so easy to, like, chop stuff up on Ableton, make an edit, and then just put it on your laptop and add a few cue points, and you're away. You're away. You can just, like, create something and have it done, you know, instantly kind of thing, you know. So, yeah, the it I'd say it's opened the door to uh, a lot more creativity you know uh, it's definitely enhanced turntablism and it's enhanced DJing mm. stop, yeah know? and uh, it's good to hear you say that because it's our view entirely as well it might have made it a little bit harder for people to see what's going on and to understand what's going on um, I think that might be one of the downsides of it but as you say what you can do now is so much bigger, right? That it's oh. uh, it's it's probably a price worth paying. That's right. The, um, the only limitation you have now with with all this digital stuff and all this technology is your imagination. That's the only limitation you have now. You know, you can do anything. You can scratch any sound. You know, you can uh, manipulate any sound. You can edit any sound, and yeah, you know, it's. You don't have needles skipping anymore and, and stuff like that. It's it's great, you know. We're living in good times. So you've shared, you've generously shared an awful lot about your story today and you have given us a lot of insight that I'm sure a lot of people would not have got otherwise. But there's one thing we haven't discussed, of course. Let's go all the way back to your very first DMC. It was DMC, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the ball walk. Yeah. Uh, that you you kind of like flopped at and now you've got this string of a string of wins to your name tell us about winning your very first scratch competition tell us where it was when it was and what it felt like 
Okay, the very first competition I won was in Warrington <laughs> in 2001. And it was basically a DJ competition. And it was in the town centre. It was on a summer's day. You know, there was a lot of DJs and you had to do a lot of heats. It wasn't as hardcore as a DMC competition, but it was more like a Red Bull freestyle competition yeah. where you had to mix a lot of genres together and show different skills for like, I think you got 20 minutes set. So I went, uh, got through all the heats and, you know, I was in the top three in, right in the final and we all had to do a 20 minute set and I ended up winning. I ended up winning uh, a, a huge keyboard <laughs> and uh, I think I got a check as well for some money. Uh Yeah. Yeah, it was a good feeling. Yeah. It, it was really good. And the you first DMC win? Okay. The, well, the first, my first victory in a DMC was just to get through to a regional final, you know, yeah. just to get through to the top eight. And that was in 2001. And I was so chuffed because I was like, wow, I'm actually getting somewhere. Because, like I said before, there was like 50 dudes entering. Uh, you know, one regional, it was super hard to get in the top eight. Um, yeah, one year, yeah, 2001 in Manchester, Planet K, I got through to the top eight and I was first on and I was I was just so chuffed to be in the final. You know, I, I didn't care if I won or lost. I was just so happy. I just wanted to show my skills and uh, perform, you know what I mean? And then, you know, it took me a, a, a good couple of years I was always getting in the regional final and I'd come third and second. And then 2006, I actually won uh, a regional final in Leeds. And I think it was at the Wardrobe Club and it was a packed club. Uh, it was packed out and it was such a good feeling. You know, I was like, finally, I'm in the UK final. <laughs> so I got in the UK final that year and, uh, you know, uh, I did my thing. Also, the year, I think it was the same year, or might have been the year before, I got in the UK final in the ITF, which was the International Turntablist Federation. And that was, uh, that was a really tough battle. Uh, it was a lot more technical than DMC, and it focused on certain elements, like there was a scratching category, a beat juggling category, and there was this other thing called a technical advancement category where, where you had to do a bit of both. And I actually got in the UK final after competing in uh, two regional heats. Uh, they, they give me a place because I come second. I didn't actually win one of them heats. I got second in both heats. And it was kind of like a knockout competition. So they needed eight people to uh, compete, you know, to, in order for it to uh, to work as a, as a comp. So the, U, the actual UK final was in the MEN Arena in Manchester. And it was alongside... Uh, sporting event, you know, like an extreme sporting event, like okay, yeah, and BMXs yeah. and you know skateboards and all that, and that was incredible because it was packed out. It was it was an arena, you know what I mean? And yeah, I mean for people who don't know, the MEN Arena is a big deal in Manchester. It's, oh, it's a huge, it's a, a huge, huge venue. Yeah, and and that was great. And I, I ended up getting fourth place, uh, so that was my first taste of being in a national final. You know. Uh, we had international judges. We had DJ Noise judging, uh, Woody judging, DJ Tiger Styles judging, and that that was a great feeling, you know, to 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 get that far in that competition and win it 
you know, in my own area kind of thing, you know what I mean? Kind of not win it, but I mean like represent good and have a lot of my friends in the crowd and stuff. And yeah, to have that home support, that that was really good. But the, my actual first UK title that I won was in 2009. And that was at the DMC UK Battle for Supremacy. And that was the tough battle. Like the, the Supremacy is basically a knockout competition. So, you know, there might be like 30 guys entering, then, you know, they whittle it down to like top 16, then a top eight, top four, then two, and then you finally have a winner. And uh, yeah, I had to battle a lot of people that day. And that was in London. It was at the O2 Islington. You know, so it was quite a big venue. Not as big as the MEM, but it was quite a big venue and it was packed out. And uh, yeah, that was the very first time I won a UK final and become a national champion. And I was like, wow, I finally did it. After all them years, after how many years? 11 years of trying. <laughs> I finally got the, you know, and then... Oh, it's, went, it's, it's lovely. And uh, and your mum, your dad, what did they think? When did they stop telling you to get a real job? In? <laughs> was, it at, was it at that point, somewhere around then? You still do. <laughs> <laughs> uh no i think when i started you know when i started like getting gigs overseas and uh you know getting decent gigs and when i was teaching they were like okay you know now we know that, that you, you're doing something good and you know i could you know pay uh rent and everything from it you know off the back of, i could live off dj yeah. rather than having a other job or whatever you know what i mean so yeah, they were like, nah, you, you go for it, do do what, you know, they were quite supportive. They thought it was a bit of a racket when I was first mm. learning, but after a while, it's like, oh, we get it now, we yeah. get what you're doing, you know what I mean? And yeah, they they yeah, really supportive of us, actually. Which is lovely to hear. And um, I just want to thank you for spending some time with us today, talking through all this stuff for us. It's, um, as always with you, it's been inspirational and a pleasure, pleasure to talk to you. Oh, so thank, thank you for having us. It's been great to talk to you, Phil, and you know, show my story and yeah, thanks. Before we go, can you tell people where they can find you online? Yeah, you can find me on social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, just at DJ Rasp, which is DJ R-A-S-P. Okay, so that's where to find Rasp. And what are you up to next? What are your plans for the immediate future? Well, I'm working a lot at the SEM in Manchester doing a lot of like teaching and stuff. Uh, I have a couple of gigs lined up. I've got like a showcase in London uh, with Rain, uh, you know, showcasing the new Rain 12s with a bunch of other, you know, DMC DJs. Uh, Hopefully I'll be going out to America this year, uh, judging and showcasing a a DMC uh, final. And yeah, just keep my fingers in as many DJ pies as possible um, and just keep working hard, man, you know. And let's not forget that uh, you are going to be featuring on some training that we've made as well, some scratch training here, yeah. Digital DJ Tips, which we're not talking about because it's not available right now. But when it is, uh, anyone that's listening to this podcast will be able to find out more via... I'm also, I'm also doing a, a lot of uh, skills session mixes for you guys, which is yeah, great. Yeah, very popular as well. 
um, showing off. Uh, so if you want to see some of Rasp's skills, you can head over to the YouTube channel of Digital DJ Tips and find stuff there as well. So Rasp, thank you very much once more for your time. It's been a pleasure. Happy scratching and we'll catch up again very soon. Thanks, man. Thanks for having us, Phil. Cheers. <laughs>